Hey, it's Nancy. Before we begin today, I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Crime Beat early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. A listener's note. The following episode contains coarse language, adult themes, and content of a violent and disturbing nature, and may not be suitable for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. Every time you use your phone to text, make a call, or post on social media, you leave a mark. The same thing happens when you use your credit card, or online banking, or access the internet. You leave behind a digital footprint that you might not even realize. I get excited when I start pulling out these little pieces of information from these vast vats of information that have something that can help my investigators move their file forward. Just that little piece of information that means they can move to the next step is like a win for me. If anyone watches Criminal Minds, my role is Garcia. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter with Global News. Today on Crime Beat, I'm going to take you behind the scenes with a crime analyst and share how she's used her expertise to help solve several high-profile cases you'll remember from previous episodes. I refer to that as the best and the worst moment of my career. The worst moment in the sense that we've got a deceased mom, we've got a missing little girl. For the first few days, we were working on the assumption that she had been kidnapped and we were working as hard as we could uh, to get her and bring her home alive. This is The Data Tells a Story. Trish Pace has been with the Calgary Police Service for nearly 24 years. So I'm a civilian member of the police service. Uh, We still go through some of the same process that the sworn members go through to get hired. We still have a background check. We still have to do a polygraph. um, But we also have educational requirements that are specific to our roles. So, for example, when I applied and for a lot of the positions that we have currently, uh, you require a university degree of some sort, as well as four years experience or a master's degree and two years. What that degree is varies. Uh, Some of us have degrees in social science, some have degrees in political science, some are specifically uh, criminal justice. More and more our field is getting towards a bit more technologically oriented uh, because there's a lot of large data sets that we deal with. So dealing with specific software, dealing with like large volumes of data. So more and more we're seeing people with a bit of a tech background or a data processing background. There are a lot of different types of crime analysts. Some look at crime trends in specific geographical areas. Others, organized crime. Basically, if there's a specialized investigative unit, chances are there's a crime analyst working alongside investigators. I started working with actually robbery, homicide, Domestic violence, child abuse, and sex crimes was my portfolio at the time. And when I started working the homicide files, it was like, this is my calling. This is this is where I am meant to be. I love the complexity of the investigations. I love the pace that they move. I love like that first 48 hours where you've got people 
yelling a bazillion tasks at you at the same time and you're having to juggle a million things and stuff's flying at you like left, right and center. I love that. It's almost like an adrenaline rush. And as soon as I started experiencing that, I was like, this is my home. This is my career. And then as years went on, I started digging into like the cell phone stuff and realizing how much you could tell about a person and their life just based on how they use their phone. And then that was something new that I could dig my teeth into. And now it's gotten to the point that I actually, I, I teach classes on how to use data from cell phones to assist crime and criminal investigations. Pace has now been an analyst with the Calgary Police Homicide Unit for nearly two decades. So the closest example that I can find to someone that does my job and people that don't really understand law enforcement or aren't in our world, this is the example that I give is if anyone watches Criminal Minds, my role is Garcia. I spend a lot of my time behind the computer digging through data of various sorts and kind of putting it together in relation to the information that the investigators are finding out through their traditional investigative means and putting into context and giving it back to the investigators to help them further their investigation. As a matter of fact, one of our investigators, uh, Detective Day Suite, um, he refers to me as Garcia. Most of us have looked up someone online. I do it as a journalist when I'm trying to find people for stories I'm covering. But I think most people can say they've tried to find information about someone they've just met. So open source is anything that any person can access just by going on the web. It's something that, you know, my neighbor next door, if she were to go and search Joe Smith, she would get the same results that I would. That's considered open source. You don't need a judicial authorization. You don't need special permission from a judge to get that information. And we live our lives so much digitally and on the web now. It is amazing how much of people's life is mapped out through either online sources or through electronic devices. Almost every footprint that you take in a day has got some kind of digital footprint that we can either access through open source information or through writing warrants to get that information that's housed in various databases. Even 10 years ago, your open source was just restricted to Google, whatever came up on Google, or say Facebook when Facebook was the only kind of social media platform that people could use. Now you've got TikTok, you've got Snapchat, you've got Twitter, you've got LinkedIn, uh, you've got like a plethora of different platforms that people use to communicate to each other. If you think about how much information you can find with a few simple searches, you'd be amazed at what Pace can dig up. We have access to a number of different databases, government-based databases uh, like motor vehicles, our own record system. You know, we can call other agencies to get access to their files, uh, vital statistics, um, property ownership. But then there's also the open source, as well as the cell phone records, as well as I'll get access to if we seize um, and write a warrant for a, like an actual physical handset on a cell phone, there's data that we can download from that. So I will look at that information and put it into context with the other information that I'm seeing. So for example, uh, we have a phone number. We have the victim that's talking to a phone number. And then we get our handset. And on that handset, it's got a nickname of Jimbo on it. 
Well, then all of a sudden I got the cell phone records of somebody else and that phone number shows up and there's an actual name attached to that number on the cell phone records. Or I search that number in the database and it comes up associated to an address or a person. All those pieces of information are put together to give a complete picture of who this Jimbo guy might be, including his address, his phone number, his associations, who he hangs out with, where he hangs his hat, vehicles that are associated to him. After she tracks down information from these sources, Pace analyzes the data to find connections, patterns, or inconsistencies. I get excited when I start pulling out these little pieces of information from these vast vats of information that have something that can help my investigators move their file forward. Like just that little piece of information that means they can move to the next step is like a win for me. And I hate to say it, but I get really excited when I see like things matching up or linking together or connections between different pieces of information that I know is going to all of a sudden make that next piece of the puzzle drop into place. I love that feeling. I asked Pace to take me through her role in the investigative process when a homicide happens in Calgary. So what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be doing a map of the area so they'll be able to see kind of the layout of the land around where it occurred. I'm going to be looking if we have an address and we don't have a victim name. I'm going to be kind of digging into that address to see who is at that location that might be somebody of interest. Then I'm also going to be looking at the backgrounds there to see, has there been a conflict in the past? Have these people been involved in criminal activity before? Has there been suspicious activity in the area? Has there been other criminal activity in the area? So now I can give the investigators right on the front end a kind of snapshot of what they're seeing in terms of the involved locations or individuals that we know so far that are involved in that offense. So they can kind of get a Coles Notes background version of what we're dealing with right off the bat. Once investigators get further details from 911 calls, first responders, and witnesses, Pace is able to take that information and compare it with some of the data she's already uncovered. I'm also trying to do a background once we have the name on the victim. So who this victim is, what they're about, who their associates are, what activity have they been involved in in the past, have they had conflicts before? Do they have a history of domestics, mental health issues? Do they have prior criminal involvement? Are they part of a gang? And I do have a document called a profile that is every bit of information that I can dig out from anything I can access on that individual. Pace said this information can provide insight on potential motives and even identify possible suspects. So, for example, um, we had a homicide years ago where a male was uh, shot while in his basement. And when we first spoke to the initial people, they said, oh, well, this guy had a falling out with these two people a couple of weeks ago. That's going to be your suspects. So I do the victim background on this guy and I start digging into it. He's not really a criminal like he doesn't have a lot of a criminal background but as i start digging in i start seeing that he had this long-standing back and forth feud with these brothers and it had been going on for years this kind of conflict 
And so when I was speaking with the investigators, I said, I know that you were given these names by the initial witnesses, but you may want to look at this other conflict that this guy has had and see if there's some meat behind that. And sure enough, the motivation ended up being the longstanding conflict, not the recent conflict that he had. Pace has worked on more than 250 homicide cases and testified in more than 20 homicide trials, including several high-profile cases that I've shared on previous episodes of Crime Beat. You'll remember the suspicious disappearance of Calgary father Ryan Lane back in 2012. Investigators turned to Pace to try and locate Ryan using cell phone pings, a technique that was new to them at the time. Basically, when you use your cell phone, you access cell towers. Pace looked at those pings and created a map of the places the suspects went the night Ryan disappeared. It was the first time I'd, I'd done a rural area to try to narrow down a search parameter. And the area that I'd given the investigator in that case was quite large. And I was almost sick at night because we spent, I think, almost a month searching that area before they found anything. And just the thought of the manpower and the hours and the resources that were spent searching this area, I was just like, oh, my God, what if I'm wrong? In that case, police and search crews spent hundreds of hours searching thousands of acres of rural land. Eventually, officers recovered some of Ryan's burned remains, hidden away in a gravel pit. Three people were ultimately convicted of first-degree murder in that case. As technology evolved over the years, Pace fine-tuned her craft. Most people nowadays, the phone is probably in their pocket, in their purse, or in their hand. And they're checking on it on a regular basis. They're responding to communications on a regular basis. And that data is all saved by their provider. It creates a footprint that we're able to use to track people's lives. So, for example, if I look at how you live your life, I can probably look at your cell phone records and tell you approximately when you get up in the morning and when you go to bed at night. Because you're going to have next to no outgoing communication. There's going to be kind of low levels through the nighttime hours when you're sleeping. Then you're going to wake up in the morning and you're going to see an increase in the communication on your phone records. So to me, that tells me you're up and moving about. And chances are the tower that you're using to do those communications is in the vicinity of your house. So by looking at the numbers that are contacted, the towers that are used, the patterns of communication over the course of the day, the week, the month, you can kind of formulate a general idea of how this person moves about and who they communicate with on a regular basis. Four years after the disappearance of Ryan Lane, there was another high-profile case where Pace was again tasked with using cell phone technology to help locate a victim. In 2016, Calgary mother Sarah Bailey was found dead inside her home. Her daughter, five-year-old Talia Marsman, was missing. I refer to that as the best and the worst moment of my career. Um, the worst moment in the sense that we've got a deceased mom, we've got a missing little girl. For the first few days, we were working on the assumption that she had been kidnapped and we were working as hard as we could 
uh, to get her and bring her home alive. You've got a lot of investigators and a lot of people in the service and a lot of resources that are going out trying to find this little girl. And we got one set of cell phone records for a suspect that were handed to me. And they said, okay, where should we go search? Where should we look for this girl? So I'm analyzing these cell phone records, looking for where this phone went, when it went, and knowing that what I give back to them, there's probably going to be upwards of 50 people going to be dispatched based on what I have told them to go search for this little girl. It's a lot of manpower, that's a lot of effort, and I didn't want to be sending them to look in the wrong direction, especially when we're still thinking that this little girl is alive. Early in the morning on July 12, 2016, police issued an Amber Alert for Talia. Hours later, her aunt and uncle made a public plea for her safe return. The following day, police revealed witnesses saw a young girl matching Talia's description with a man near her mother's home. Two days later, investigators showed a photo of a vehicle they believed was involved in the little girl's disappearance. And that's when the search for Talia moved east of the city, as police and search and rescue crews scoured ditches, outbuildings, and treed areas. It was Trish Pace mapping out those locations. When I got the records of our suspect, and they popped up on my computer screen, I'm looking at a room of probably 20 people that have been working around the clock, going home for like three, four hours of sleep, and then coming back and doing it again for days at this point. As soon as I saw it on my computer screen, my heart just sunk because I knew looking at the pattern that I was seeing, it was likely a body dump situation. And we were now probably looking at a body recovery situation. At that time, I was the only person in that room that knew that. And I looked up and realized I had to find a way to tell all these people that had been working so many days that I thought that this little girl was dead and that we were now looking for a body. The primary investigator said it's the only time he's ever seen me cry. And I, I actually left the room, printed off the map. I printed off the map just to give myself time to absorb what I was seeing. I printed off the map. I was standing by the printer and the primary came by and he's like, are you okay? And I said, I, I need to talk to you. So I took the map in and my intention was just to talk to him and kind of show him what I had. But as soon as I put the map down on the table, I was surrounded by investigators that wanted to see what I was showing him. And so I was pointing out like why and what I thought had happened and the area that I thought that she was in. And it ended up being like, you know, showing a room full of people where I thought that she was. Pace's predictions were correct. She gave investigators a map with a circle drawn around a narrowed search zone. And that's where police found Talia Marsman's body. This case also concluded with a first-degree murder conviction. Pace said the key to a successful investigation is teamwork. From the detectives to the forensic interviewers to crime scenes investigators to the analysts, the list goes on and on. They all have a specific role to play in solving a crime. 
it's not just the family that we're finding resolution for. We're finding resolution for the victims that can't give us answers. They can't, they can't tell us what happened. We need the evidence and we need their last footprints of life and what other people can tell us to lead us to what happened to them. What, what led them to the position that they're no, no longer with us. And just doing a job that I am able to bring closure for that family, we're able to solve a puzzle and bring not peace, but bring a resolution to what happened to this person. That's that's why we do what we do. We speak for those who can no longer speak. I want to thank Trish Pace for being a part of this episode and providing a glimpse into her work with the Calgary Police Homicide Unit. Crime Beat is written and produced by me, Nancy Hickst, with producer Dila Velasquez. Audio editing and sound design is by Rob Johnston. Special thanks to photographer-editor Danny Lantella for his work on this episode. And thanks to Chris Bassett, the VP of Content in Distribution and Editorial Standards for Global News. I would love to have you tell a friend about this podcast, and you can help me share these important stories by rating and reviewing Crime Beat on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. You can find me on Twitter at Nancy Hickst, on Facebook at Nancy Hickst Crime Beat, and on Instagram at Nancy.Hickst. That's N-A-N-C-Y dot H-I-X-T. Thanks again for listening. Please join me next time.